welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. I hope you and your loved ones are safe and healthy, coping with this unprecedented crisis. Today on our program, Aid Delayed. We're getting you the help you need when you need it. We have a plan to protect jobs, to help those who've been laid off, and to support businesses that are having cash flow problems. And we're not done yet. Why do businesses have to wait up to six weeks to get access to the federal government's massive new 75% wage subsidy? And do companies have the cash flow to keep from closing before the critical help arrives? And what about the 800,000 Canadians who don't qualify for the emergency benefit? The Minister for Small Business and International Trade, Mary Ng, is here with the answers on the aid package. Plus, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer will join us with further steps he believes the government should take right now. And then, out of time. It was really concerning the situation that we find ourselves in, in financially as we, and also where we are in this province dealing with the pandemic at that time. It's the perfect storm. Record low oil prices and COVID-19 have cratered the economy in Newfoundland and Labrador. And the Premier wrote a desperate letter to the Prime Minister saying they have run out of time. So what do they need right now? Premier Dwight Ball is here with what he wants from the federal government. And then, new shortages? No, we likely did not have enough. I think federal governments for decades have been underfunding things like public health preparedness. The government finally admits there are key shortages for frontline workers. But will the new U.S. order to prevent 3M from exporting key masks to Canada make the shortages even worse? How soon can Canada produce its own key supplies? Linda Silas, the president of the Canadian Federation of the Nurses Union, weighs in on whether the shortages are putting frontline workers at risk. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. So businesses struggling due to the coronavirus, COVID-19, will now receive a 75% wage subsidy to help them keep their employees on staff throughout this difficult time, however long it lasts. But here's the key. It will be between three to six weeks before the program is up and running and companies can see their money. Can companies really hold on to their workers in the meantime? Does the government have to loosen the criteria to make the money easier to access? For example, dropping the criteria of a 30% drop in revenue. The government has also announced a $2,000 a month emergency benefit for those who have already lost their jobs or can't work because of COVID-19. But what about the 800,000 Canadians who don't qualify? Let's find out. Mary Ng is the Minister Responsible for Small Business. She joins us now. Uh, first of all, I hope you and your family are well. Minister, thanks for joining us. Look, the big concern is a lot of companies say, we like this program. Parliament's got to come back to do it. And the, Bill Morneau told me it's three to six weeks before the money can get delivered. How do you, does your government expect companies with a cash flow crunch to actually survive what could be a six to maybe even eight week period? Well, Evan, thank you for that. Uh, and you too, I hope you and the family are doing well as well during this period. And I'm just gonna take a step back for a second because business has asked us for a couple of things. They asked us to help them with operating funds to keep their business going. And they asked us, asked us for some help to keep their employees on their payroll. So that's what we've done here. And we said three to six weeks. Six weeks is the outside we like, um, you know, we're working on. We'd like to get it out faster and we are gonna keep working as hard as we can to get it out faster because I know how urgent the situation is for Canadian businesses and know that from us that we are working as hard as we can to get that out to you. 
but businesses are already pushing back. For example, they don't like the criteria that says you've got to show that you've had a 30% drop in revenue from this time last year. You've got businesses saying that's too complicated. Make it smoother. Run this through the bank so they can deliver this quicker. Are you, is your government prepared to recalibrate the program to, to widen well, the criteria and make it easier to people to access that money? Well, I've talked to businesses all around the country. I know that there are businesses during this period who are not see seeing revenue loss. I've also seen businesses and I've talked to businesses where they've just had to shut their doors. And thank you for doing that because we're all in this fight for COVID-19. So it's for those businesses who are seeing this dramatic loss in revenue. And that's why they can't pay their employees. That's why they can't keep, they don't have, um, they don't have what it takes to keep their employees until we put in 75% wage subsidy where they now are saying, okay, you know what? We now can plan. We know you're going to pay 75% of that salary. And that's what this is for. This program is for those businesses that have seen a severe decline in their revenue. And as far as the, as the banks go, we've been working with the banks. And I want to thank them for the work that they're going to be doing as well. Because businesses are walking through your door to access our $40,000 interest-free loan. And I know some a couple of the banks are ready to go. But they're ready and they're imminent and they're they're that's going to be ready to go. That's going to help with the operating but, funds and the cash flow that businesses are looking for. But, but you know, I guess the, the concern that I hear from businesses is this is just still going to be just too darn slow. And, and I believe me, I appreciate how difficult this program is to run. But you're going to have the opposition saying, why don't you let them keep their GST remittances? That at least give cash flow. Because, you know, the program is not going to be up and running for three to six weeks. They've already had three to six weeks of agony on this. Do you really expect companies to rehire employees in six weeks? Well, I've talked to companies, and that's exactly what they're doing because we made the decision and we put the announcement out that we're going to cover 75% of the wages up to, you know, for an employee that earns up to $58,000. But around helping keep businesses cash flow and to keep their costs low, that's what we did as well. We deferred GST and HST payments. We deferred the filing of taxes and, you know, and the submit, you know, and submitting that until August the 31st. That's also what we've done. Like we, you know, the measures that we put out are really in response to what we heard, what I heard from talking to literally thousands and thousands of business. So I think these measures are significant, but is the work done? No, I think we're going to have to continue doing the work to make sure that we are helping all businesses uh, across the country. But, uh, but the cash What about flow the Canadians who are already unemployed? Uh, I mean, you've got university students who are hoping for summer jobs to help pay for school. You've got a lot of people who have been unemployed who won't qualify for these measures. Why don't you just say anybody even the currently unemployed can qualify, for example, for the Canadian Emergency uh, Fund of $2,000 a month. Why can't they qualify? Well, the Canadian Emergency Response uh, Benefit is for those businesses who are contractors or self-employed. And we know there are 6 million Canadians, I mean, who fall in this category. And these are for the, you know, for the business owner who said to me, who is a single uh, self-employed contractor that is doing an enormous amount of work, they can start tomorrow. They can get on the website, uh, on the portal tomorrow. I think over the next three days, based on sort of uh, you know the date of your birthday, so that we can actually manage the implementation of this. But starting tomorrow, you can get on that portal. And for those people who are already signed up, that's excellent. Let's just get let's get on with this right. and let's get it done and get help out to people. Uh, Minister, I got to move to this 3M issue. Uh, Donald Trump. We're about to sign a free trade deal, a renewed NAFTA with the United States, and the first thing he does is invoke the Defense Production Act and it orders 3M to stop sending critical life-saving N95 masks to our country that we've ordered, that we've paid for. Uh, will Canada retaliate? How will we cope with that 
incredibly stunning decision. Well, you heard the Prime Minister talk about this. Canada and the U.S. have, uh, you know, been working together for, for, for decades upon decades. And the Prime Minister is, uh, you know, is uh, speaking to the President. Um, and we're having discussions at different levels of government as well um, to make sure that, uh, that these supply chains indeed stay open, particularly for, uh, for critical medical equipment and, uh, and other essential supplies. And, um, and we're going to have to keep working at this. But there's also, we've also, I want to thank those industries and those businesses in Canada who have stepped up and, uh, and, and called to action to make a uh, sort of made in Canada solution to make sure that we also are developing that enormous I capability here in Canada. Yeah, listen, I get it. We, we need to be self-sufficient, but the answer to this crisis is not uh, to end globalization. We need supply chains. Look, lives are, are at stake here. People could die. My question is, is your government prepared to retaliate against the United States if they cut off key medical supplies that are contractually belong and paid for by Canadians for Canadians? We're going to keep working on this because I think everyone acknowledges that what's really important here is keep our keep our people safe, keep our health work uh, health workers safe. This Monday, I met with my G20 ministers, trade ministers across uh, you know across the G20 countries, and we all committed. Uh, we all committed that we're going to keep critical supply chains open, make sure the flow of medical personnel, medical services. And just these other essential but services I understand continue that. to stay but, open. But listen, I get that, and I, I appreciate what you're saying. But isn't there, isn't there an alarm going off that Donald Trump isn't listening to that, that he doesn't care about that? He doubled down again on Friday and Saturday saying, I'm ordered 3M to do this. So you can say that, but are, is your government prepared for Donald Trump to keep snapping our supply chains in order to protect Americans at the expense of Canada? I think you will see that our government has a really good track record of working with the United States where we are able to get things done. And uh, the new NAFTA is an example of that. The Prime Minister continues to have conversations uh, with the President, as do the Deputy Prime Minister and, uh, and colleagues at, uh, at all levels. And we're going to keep working on this. I mean, this is really important. And it's really important for both our countries to tackle COVID-19. And we're going to have to just keep doing this so that you know, job one here is tackling COVID-19 and helping keep our keep Canadians, our health healthcare workers safe right. in this country. Right. Well, okay. So uh, I, I don't know how Canada's going to react, except well, I hope I, I guess just talking to Donald Trump about it. Why does your government uh, continue to say they will not release its projections, the so-called modeling of how hard COVID-19 could hit Canada? Uh, Ontario did it this week. They said it. They want to be transparent. The numbers were pretty sobering, as Doug Ford said, between 3,000 and 15,000 people dying between 18 months and two years. Um, the Prime Minister said he, he doesn't have the data, but we, we've seen that the data is available. It seems to me that this is trans... Why will not release that to Canadians who want transparency, who want clarity on what your government is preparing for? Well, you heard the Prime Minister, um, you know, and... Canadians are listening and hearing the Prime Minister and the Health Minister and all of us on a daily basis to keep Canadians up to date on how we are doing and how we all need to work together in this fight against COVID-19. We will um, we will ensure that we are going to provide Canadians with the information. Um, and but keeping Canadians safe and and Canadians taking a part in uh, in making sure that we are all in this fight is something that we all need to do. And, and our behaviors actually influences what the data can be or will be.
Yeah, well, we got to continue to physically distance. I got to leave it there. Uh, Minister, yes. uh, Minister Ng, great to have you on the program. I appreciate it very much. And a big, big week coming up when Parliament returns. Coming up, though, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer is urging the federal government to take more steps to protect small businesses. Let's get his perspective next. He's on the way. Stay right here with Question Period. These are the biggest economic measures in our lifetimes to defeat a threat to our health. These historic measures will support Canadians to stay home to defeat COVID-19. This is the biggest aid package in Canadian history. It includes $2,000 a month to all Canadians who've been laid off, interest-free loans, and for businesses, a 75% wage subsidy. Here's one of the issues. The money won't get to businesses for between three to six weeks. Is that fast enough? And what more should the federal government do? Conservative leader Andrew Scheer wants, for example, to refund GST payments made by businesses for the last six months. He thinks that would be more immediate help. Will that work? And will the opposition support the federal government's current economic package without those additional measures when Parliament is recalled this week? Let's find out. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer joins us now. Uh, great to have you back on the program, sir. I hope you and your family are well. We're all coping with this uh, bizarre situation. Let me just start with the 75% wage subsidy that was introduced. Um, when Parliament gets back, will you and your party support that package? So what we've said is that we are supportive of these measures. Uh, you may remember that when the idea of a wage subsidy was first brought out, we in the Conservative Party flagged that the 10% subsidy that was set originally by the government really wasn't going to help a lot of businesses that had seen a catastrophic drop in revenue. Uh, so we are supportive. We're glad they listened to us and raised it to 75%. Uh, we, we want to take a look at the legislation. Last time, uh, the Liberals put a lot of things in there that had nothing to do with helping Canadians. We want to make sure that this is focused on exactly what they've announced. And we, we are also encouraging them to look at some of the other ideas that we proposed, as you mentioned, like the GST refund. But generally, we are supportive of what they've announced. Right. Uh, so Bill Morneau, the finance minister, told me that, you know, there's lots of ideas, but this is a much bigger package than, for example, a GST uh, refund would be. The big question is how to get this money quickly. Um, your, government, your party, rather, has, has criticized some of your members, the government, for not getting it more quickly. Is there, I mean, this is, to be fair, it's a massive package designed over weeks or days um, and it's an administrative nightmare. Is there a faster way to get businesses money? They need it. They're suffering from big cash flow problems. Uh, we all recognize the gap. Do you have a better way to get the money quicker to them? Well, uh, as you point out, this is unprecedented, and we are, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our best to work with the government in a constructive way and to propose these types of ideas. And if I could just touch on the GST refund, because that is something that doesn't require a whole lot of red tape. There's no program that's required. It's a simple refunding of what was already remitted. In many cases, it's it's money that's just being kept in an account for most businesses that they're about to uh, file uh, with the government. We're not saying that they need to choose one or the other. We're saying that. The GST refund is going to help businesses that can't subsidize their wages because they've had no customers come through the door, for example, restaurants. Uh, in terms of delivering uh, delivering the wage subsidy, uh, we're proposing ideas that they could look at, uh, for example, uh, a simple qualification period where a processing of the, pay, uh, of the paperwork and an analysis of whether or not companies qualify can happen after the fact so that the money gets out the door much more quickly. Right now, what they're doing is making 
companies apply for it. Uh, someone, someone, in, someone in Ottawa is going to go through that application. Yeah, they got to prove that they've lost 30% of their wages compared to uh, this time last year. Some people are saying that's too restrictive. Do you think the qualification should be broader and maybe less restrictive? Well, you know, uh, you know, based on the information that we've had, you know, it, it does make sense to say, well, uh, you know, most companies that are being hit because of direct government orders are going to be experiencing much more than 30%. So what we're saying is this is probably one of those times where you can have an auditing function after the fact. You can have the, the processing done very quickly up front and then have uh, public servants uh, you know, go through all the applications after. Uh, there's other, other models they could work, uh, they could look at. They could look at setting up accounts with banks, uh, putting uh, putting money into uh, uh, institutions that small businesses are already dealing with for their banking needs and saying, look, you could access this up front. And again, on the back end, we'll, we'll be doing the processing of the paperwork. So there are models out there that are being proposed by things like the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and others that we believe would deliver this aid more quickly. We're hoping that they're going to take these ideas seriously. Uh, uh, one, one thing is uh, when Parliament comes back again, they've got there's legislation needed for this. The Bloc Quebecois has criticized you guys already, saying, look, last time around, the Bloc said we were prepared to give them uh, spending powers that would be unlimited till September 30th, not to raise taxes, but unlimited spending power, so to avoid having to keep coming back like they're doing now for the 75% wage subsidy, they blame the Conservatives for opposing that, and oh. that's, so I, I want you to respond to that, and I just want to make sure, and I think parliamentary oversight is key, we all do, this is a democracy, will it slow down the delivery of money, though? Well, uh, first of all, I believe uh, it's essential. Parliament is an essential service. Uh, rigorous scrutiny and debate is essential to make sure that we get better outcomes. We want the government to get these things right. We want the country to get this uh, right. We want the response to this pandemic needs to be addressed in a, in a multifaceted approach, and, and we want to be a part of that. You get better results when you get analysis, when you get peer review, when you get tough questions asked. Uh, we've already seen several times where the government has had to change or amend uh, their plan as either new information becomes available or when people point out their shortcomings and flaws. So, you know, Parliament can be recalled within 48 hours. We've already showed a willingness to quickly fast-track measures to get money out the door. We think, in the Conservative Party, we think Parliament and, and our democratic institutions are designed for moments like this to make sure we emerge from this crisis as strong as possible. The uh, U.S. has uh, already said, Donald Trump has said he's going to stop the company 3M from sending critical N95 masks to Canada as part of what they're calling the Defense Production Act. Uh, this is a big issue because we import a lot from them. How should Canada respond? Should Canada retaliate? Well, you know, this is very disturbing and very troubling. Uh, obviously, a preferred solution is one uh, handled at the diplomatic level, where we can point out how integrated our supply chains are, how companies that produce parts for masks and ventilators and other equipment uh, sell to both American and Canadian companies and suppliers. Uh, we don't want to see an escalation of this, where uh, where that ability to, you know, move goods back and forth to create a finished product in any way. Uh, is impeded. That's going to be bad for both the U.S. and Canada. But I think it's critical at this stage that uh, Justin Trudeau explain to Canadians what our contingency plan is. Uh, what are we doing here to ramp up production in our own economy, But he's talked about that. Country. He's talked about a whole industrial plan. Is that not enough? Like he's 3,000 companies, they've got lots of companies making masks. Is that not enough? 
Well, it, it's essential that, that it, you know, if we are seeing measures uh, south of the border to, to, to restrict uh, American companies' involvement to that, you know, we, we need to make sure that our plan is updated, that it's open and transparent. This is part of the reason why we've been calling for the release of information and modeling and projections so that we, we can have peer review. We can have people look at it and say, well, that might not be enough. You know, you might need to go further. Uh, that's why the release of that information is so critical. That's why another reason why we called for that uh, last week as well. Yeah, and we'll see if they do release the, the, the modeling projections, and we'll see if the U.S. actually uh, allows 3M to export those masks. i got to leave it there. Uh, Mr. Shear, thanks for joining us. Always appreciate that, and likely back in Ottawa sometime this week. Coming up, out of time, Newfoundland and Labrador have made a desperate plea to Ottawa for help after its economy has tanked, not only in the face of COVID-19, but the collapse of oil prices. What will it take to bring that province back from the brink? We find out next. Premier Dwight Ball joins us. Stay right here with Question Period. Welcome back to Question Period. We have run out of time. That poignant plea to the Prime Minister came from the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. As COVID-19 has hit, just as his province has seen the total collapse in the price of oil. At one point, it was cheaper to buy basically a couple of coffees and a donut than it was to buy a barrel of Canadian crude. Just think about that. So what exactly does that province need right now? And after Ontario released its projections of the impact of COVID-19, remember, best case scenarios being between 3,000 and 15,000 deaths if everything is done, what are the projections for Newfoundland and Labrador? Let's find out. Joining me now via Skype from St. John's, Newfoundland, is the Premier Dwight Ball. Premier, hope you and your family are doing well and good to see you back here. Uh, can you tell Canadians who saw your letter when you said to the Prime Minister, we have run out of time, what exactly that means? Why have you run out of time? Well, Evan, as you know, we've been working with the federal government now for quite some months. Um, provinces within Canada that do not receive equalization. Newfoundland and Labrador is one of those provinces, as would be Alberta and Saskatchewan. So provinces like us who do not receive equalization, we were looking for other options so we can increase transfers from the federal government. We were anticipating, based on the discussions that we would have had, that something could have been coming in the, in the budget in late March. So by March the 20th, when I wrote that letter, it was becoming very clear then that uh, we would not get the support in, from, in coming from a budget. So I had to reach out and say, we're out of time. We need some support. Difficulty borrowing for Newfoundland and Labrador. We had to make sure that we had credit available to us so we can keep the services and we could keep our payroll here in our province for our public sector workers. Yeah, and, and now here we are in April, and I, and I guess those challenges remain. You spoke with other premiers on Thursday night to the prime minister. What exactly did you ask? Well, it was we need some decisions on how provinces like ours could be supported. The Bank of Canada and the recent decision did help. We were able to secure enough money to keep our province going and keep it going for uh, you know, a period of time. So we're not going to run out of money so we can pay for what we can pay our people and, and pay for the services that we need. But the fact is, this is not a long-term solution. The solution is just not borrowing more and more and more on top of the excessive amount of debt that we already have. So we're just looking for, if you're a treatment here, we're looking for something to support the Canadians that live in Newfoundland and Labrador. So simply, it's a matter of fairness. Right. I mean, there's the fiscal stabilization fund. There's obviously redoing the equalization. Those are big, big projects. But I understand from a senior government source that on Thursday night, Jason Kenney asked, 
when will there be specifically an economic aid package for the energy sector, which would hit really two big provinces, obviously Alberta, but your province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Did you ask for that aid package, and are you expecting one? So anything specific to energy or whatever it is, for me, I'm very open for a discussion. We've talked a lot about support for the energy uh, industries in Newfoundland and Labrador around this country. That is one option. But I'm very open to any discussion. What I'm looking for is a program that reflects where we are today. If that comes in the form of uh, aid for our energy sector, that's okay too. But we have a fishing industry that's struggling as well, a tourism industry that has collapsed. The economy in our province right now, it's, it's, it's really collapsed to, to the degree where there's very little revenue coming in. So we will accept a program that reflects the support of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. But what is that? that? Like, is that a new equalization program, Premier Bo? I think right now that if you speak to people anywhere in this country, or many of my colleagues have had this discussion, they support where we are. They understand that if you live in our province with the excessive amount of debt that we have, this doesn't look or feel like a half province. We, and yet, we do not get equalization. So all it is, we need a program that reflects where we are. It is simply about fairness. There's no other way to put this. Uh, Premier, I got to switch to projections about COVID-19. Ontario on Friday released stark, somber projections about fatalities. They're talking about 3,000 to 15,000, best case scenario over the next year, year and a half. Is your, does your province have a model and a projection, and can you tell us what you are preparing for exactly and what that model is? We are working through a model. We're working towards a model right now. Our numbers, even though they're high on a national standard, when you look at some of the clusters that we had to deal with, when you look at the province as a whole, they're really not that high. So we do not have the numbers that would actually put a model in place that would, to the degree of confidence that we could take to our, uh, to our public to the residents in our province. We're working towards that. And the fact is, though, with all the modeling that would help us prepare for our healthcare sector, we know we have a solution. It's that we really need to stay inside and we really need to practice safe physical distancing. That is the way that we can prevent this spread. Right. The modeling aside, we will do, we will get a model in place, but we will only do it when we have the confidence in the numbers that but, we can take to our healthcare you, sector. But you got to be preparing for something. I mean, you've got to, frankly, Newfoundland, Labrador, your demographic is older than the, the average in Canadian. You've got um, some health issues there that track actually um, higher than the Canadian average, which could make your population more vulnerable. So just can you tell us, what is your province on a working model, what are you preparing for in terms of how long this may last and potentially the health care and shortages in equipment that you, your health care workers need to help uh, in a potential surge? Absolutely, Evan, you are so right. All the things that you talked about are outliers in Newfoundland and Labrador. We are preparing. As a matter of fact, most of our hospitals right now, when it comes to occupancy, we have a significant amount of capacity to respond for those that would need access to health care. So we're actually doing that already. We've got a fair amount of that done. The other thing is that when it comes to personal, uh, to PPE, it's become a household name right across our country these days. And we're working with the federal government, but also working with local suppliers that are helping us, you know, prepare for the surge. And we'll be ready if and when it comes, and when it comes to Newfoundland and Labrador, we will be prepared. Well, uh, Premier Ball, always good to have a chat with you. Uh, we're thinking about the people of Newfoundland and Labrador who've got this perfect storm of the collapse of oil and COVID-19. Take care of you and yours. 
Thanks for joining us today. Coming up on our program, though, a much-needed cash injection for businesses struggling in the midst of this public health and economic emergency. But it's still three to six weeks away. How many companies could be forced to close in the meantime? Do they have the cash flow? The CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Dan Kelly, and the former NDP leader and current CTV commentator Tom Mulcair join us next. Stay right here with Question Period. We know that workers in all sectors need job security. The Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy will make sure that families have a decent income and that businesses stay strong and ready to get back to work when we rise from this crisis. So the federal government has announced this 75% wage subsidy to help businesses retain their employees as they're struggling to stay afloat during this health crisis. This is a measure that will cost at least $70 billion. But the finance minister, Bill Morneau, told me it'll be between three to six weeks before the program is up and running. And here's the key, businesses will actually see any money. So can companies hold out that long? And will businesses really rehire employees they've already laid off? And then there's the issue of the 800,000 Canadians who are not eligible for the $2,000 a month emergency benefit. What about them? Let's bring in the scrum to weigh in on this. Annie Bergeron-Oliver is a reporter with CTV News. Joyce Napier is CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief. Our special guest for this round are the President and CEO of the Canadian Federation for Independent Business, Dan Kelly, and the former NDP leader and current CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair. Good morning to all of you in your splendid morning. Sunday morning isolations. I uh, hope you're all well. <laughs> Dan Kelly, I've got to start with you. Uh, Parliament's coming back. Uh, the key issue is delivery, delivery, delivery. H how much of a problem is this uh, three to six week delay? It, it's significant. Look, this is a really good program and a credit to the federal government for announcing this giant, giant subsidy for the wages in small and medium sized companies, really for all employers. Uh, but unfortunately, it's several weeks too late for many employee, employers who have already laid off their workers. Some may be able to bring some back, back some workers. I think that that's going to be fairly limited. For others, it's going to be way too late because six weeks is three payrolls from now, and most employers can't hang out. Uh, and and for others, uh, the the subsidy is really small. But look, there are going to be there are going to be thousands and thousands of, of employers who are going to be able to hang on to their workers as a result of that. Think about the stress relief for the workers involved, and of course, a better shot of the business surviving the COVID-19 shutdown. Yeah, Tom, it's certainly the most significant program I think we've ever seen. The question is, uh, if it doesn't get delivered in a timely fashion, what good is it in the end? What's your take on the challenges ahead? This is the moment of truth, and this is about public administration. If we wind up with a successful program where the money starts to mm -hmm. flow, it's going to be very good for Mr. Trudeau and his government because I think everything they've announced, like Dan Kelly just said, has been just superb. They've got it just right. They've pushed back, for example, the filing of the GST returns because up until a couple of weeks ago, they were still saying to businesses, oh, yeah, in the middle of this crisis, go get your papers and file your GST returns. They've pushed that back. Is the money going to flow? The idea of keeping the link with the employer was, is a superb idea. It's the Danish model. Instead of allowing people to cause a big bottleneck for the emergency funds, they're going to stay with their employer. We'll see, Evan, from Monday to Thursday of this week whether the money actually flows. And if it does, Mr. Trudeau and his government will look golden 
and people will be getting the help that they need rapidly. Joyce, hard to overestimate the administrative challenges. Even the, the public service which is administering this is under their own, obviously all of us are, stresses. Uh, nonetheless, this is the moment, right? And, and it's one of many programs. What do you see as the, as the biggest challenge ahead as Parliament resumes? And this money's got to get flowing. Well, one of the challenges, uh, Evan, is why do they have to call back Parliament? What happened when they called back Parliament last week, or a few weeks ago to allow the government to spend that kind of money? So now they have to call them back. So obviously there was a misunderstanding between political parties, number one. Why was it only a 10% wage subsidy? That was a bit of a waste of time. And even unexperts like myself wondered, what is 10% going to do to you? Um, so there's, there are questions there about why did the government not do this a little bit faster. But now that we're here, I say hooray, just like you, you know our other guests are saying, it is about time and it's going to take a while. And it's that particular time that it's going to take before people get their money, individuals and companies. That's what we don't know. That's a big unknown. What will happen to them in the next three to six weeks? Uh, Annie, 800,000 Canadians don't qualify for the other program. So there's a 75% wage subsidy. I know this is confusing to people. Then there's a $2,000 a month, the emergency relief benefit. Uh, but a lot of people don't qualify for that. Do they have to? Can you explain that and how they may have to loosen the restrictions on that? Right. So to begin with, you have to look at, I believe it was about a million Canadians who were unemployed before this actually happened, before the pandemic started. And I believe I read a recent estimate that said about 600,000 of those individuals who were already unemployed are not going to be eligible for these benefits. There's also a lot of people right now who are not eligible for the new CERB emergency benefit because they have not lost all of their income. So there are a lot of individuals who are trying to find freelance work, who are trying to do some teaching online, but because they are getting some income, they're not eligible for EI or for this emergency benefit. So I think the government needs to reach out to those individuals and provide some type of package for them. Then on top of that, Evan, you have to look at students as well who may have worked last summer who didn't meet that $5,000 threshold to be eligible for the new emergency benefit. Uh, students who thought that they would be able to get work this summer in between school to pay for next year's expenses, and those individuals are not eligible. So there's definitely a large group here that the government needs to reach out to and needs to provide some support to. Uh, perhaps the next time they go to Parliament. Yeah, Dan Kelly, lots of gaps there. In the, and, and I just want, and so I, that's one massive issue, getting the money out, getting it to so many people who need it. But just because you're in the, in the, industri in the business community, um, there's an industrial policy that's really asking businesses to step up and produce critical supplies, the shortages in personal protective equipment, the PPEs. And now we've heard 3M has been ordered by the United States not to deliver those key N95 masks to market, even though much of the pulp that they use in there is actually produced in Canada. What is the impact on our, our businesses to kind of uh, get involved in the production of key equipment that we might need to be self-sufficient in this crisis? Well, look, this is one of the big positives that I think has come out of this, is to see so many businesses trying to step up. And it's not just the large companies that are trying to shift production lines, but it's small and medium-sized firms that are trying to shift their booze production to, uh, to, to, to hand sanitizer. I mean, we're seeing all sorts of examples of this. We have more businesses that are willing to step up than I think is possible in, in, the, in the emergency phase uh, to get into active production and, and selling to government. Uh, we do need to make sure that we have that we clear some of the roadblocks for that to happen. But the prime minister is right. This is not the time for retaliatory action on Canada for, on Canada's part. And, and on that side, I think he, he handled that extremely well.
Tom, what's your take on that? I was stunned, and we'll talk about it more, of course, in a minute, but stunning that the President of the United States would use that order to cut off this supply to Canada. What did that tell you? Well, it's stunning, but it's not surprising because it's Donald Trump and the total lack of preparedness in the United States. Evan, a couple of weeks ago, he was still saying it was a hoax by the Democrats. So they're not prepared. It's hitting broadside. It's overwhelming their system, which is mostly private anyway. There's very little backup for the average member of the public. And as people lose their jobs, they lose their health care. So it's a terrible situation south of the border. And to that extent, the reaction of self-preservation is easy to understand. But at the same time that he's pushing for ratification of the new North American trade deal, he's completely ignoring it. And that's going to always be the problem with dealing with Donald Trump. That egotism, that self-serving attitude is going to apply to everything that he does. Canada's ramping up. Dan's right. A lot of businesses are pitching in. We'll be able to get over this hump. And we've got a good, safe health care system that right now, because we've been working so hard to flatten the curve, will be able to meet the crunch that is about to come in the next week, 10 days. All right, guys, we're going to pick up this discussion in just a minute. Dan Kelly, I really appreciate you joining us on a critical week ahead. Again, to get big support for businesses across this country to keep this economy alive. Take care of yourself, Dan. The rest of the scrum is sticking around. Coming up, we'll pick up this conversation about 3M and the staggering projections for death for the death toll. Best case scenario in Ontario, 3,000 to 15,000 deaths over the next 18 months to two years. How does that impact frontline workers? What kind of shortages are they facing? The head of the nurses union joins us next on the scrum. Stay right here with Question Period. are receiving essential supplies from the United States, but the United States also receives essential supplies and products and indeed uh, healthcare professionals from Canada every single day. I think of the thousands of nurses, for example, who cross the bridge in uh, Windsor to work in the Detroit medical system every single day. These are things that Americans rely on and it would be a mistake to um, create blockages or uh, reduce the amount of back-and-forth trade of essential goods and services. So Canada's stockpiles of medical supplies like masks, ventilators and test kits are not enough if the country is hit by a surge of COVID-19. And things may get worse. After President Trump ordered 3M to stop sending those key N95 masks to Canada and to Latin America, how will Canada respond? Did the Prime Minister hint that Canadian nurses working on the Detroit-Ontario border should stop going over to Michigan in response? And after Ontario released its projections for deaths from COVID-19 between 3,000 and 15,000 over 18 months, best case scenario, if you can believe that, uh, should the federal government also release their projections? Let's bring back the scrum. Andy Bergeron-Oliver is back, so is Joyce Napier. Tom Mulcair is back. And our special guest this round is the president of the Canadian Federation of the Nurses Union, Linda Silas. Uh, Linda, first of all, great to have you here. And from all of us, please express our incredible gratitude to the nurses on the front lines doing extraordinary work in a time of crisis. Can you give us a sense, are they experiencing shortages in terms of critical equipment that they need? Right now, Evan, they're experiencing total confusion and are being quite insulted uh, because when you hear stories like the N95 respirators are locked behind closed doors. Nurses, healthcare workers are told they'll be disciplined if they wear them. Uh, it, it is quite a chaos. 
Some regions are doing better than others, but we need to speed up our communication and speed up the protection of healthcare workers. Uh, just talk about that. Uh, the government has said for a long time we will have enough personal protective uh, equipment. Are nurses telling you otherwise? What they're telling us is that employers are panicking and locking them behind closed doors. We, before uh, March 8 around, nurses and healthcare providers were, per, were respected in their professional judgment. So when we enter any room, any contact with a patient, we do what we call a point of care assessment. So we decide what we need to take care of that patient, but also what we need to protect ourselves. And then uh, we use, we opt the personal protective equipment or we bring them down. Right. What employers have been saying is, no, you're only to protect yourself for droplet and contacts, regardless if you think uh, that the virus, you might be infected through the air, airborne. And that's the friggin' debate with the uh, mask, the, pa the paper surgical mask, or the N95 respirators that you need to be trained and fitted to wear. Right. And we've had enough. Uh, Joyce, that's fascinating to hear that. I mean, that is stunning to hear, to be candid. I'm, I'm, my jaw's a bit on the floor to hear Linda talk about that level of frustration. But all of us, frankly, are experiencing a lot of confusion. Should you wear a mask out? Uh, the, Teresa Tam, Dr. Teresa Tam said, yeah, if you want to. I started wearing one when I went to the grocery store. Are, is mixed messages becoming a big issue here? And I think, yes, it is. And I think that trust, you brought it up last week, and I think all this is under that banner, trust. Do we trust what they're telling us? First, they told us we're not going to close the borders because viruses know no borders. But they were only testing people who had traveled. So you're thinking, hey, that, that doesn't make really a lot of sense. Why don't we have enough protective equipment when we know that in January the Chinese mm -hmm. blocked exports of those masks? So didn't Canada, having learnt lessons from SARS, say, hmm, the Chinese are blocking exports of these masks, maybe we should stockpile them, but we did not. So I, I find that there's, you know what, we're, we have asked, they have asked people to abandon their businesses, to close themselves in their house, abandon their elderly parents as well. Um, you know, we're all locked inside our houses. So I think it's time for them to tell us the ugly truth, seeing that we're all in this together. It's time to, you know, stop sugarcoating it and tell us what is going on. Uh, Annie, uh, some stunning moments this week. Um, I think the, the relationship between the United States and Canada was tested in a way I, don't, I think that stunned Canadians over this uh, N35 mask. Um, what does that tell you about the shortages and the need to be, quote, self-sufficient, even though we don't want to cut off the global supply chain? It seems like there's two competing visions here. Well, I think what it tells us is that governments were trying to paint some type of a rosy picture over the last few weeks, that the shortages weren't really that much of an issue immediately, but they were doing things proactively by getting additional supplies and procurement. But what this shows us is that's not the case, that it is a dire situation both in the United States and here in Canada. We tried to ask the Prime Minister yesterday what would be the impact of 3M not being able to deliver these N95 masks, and Trudeau did not answer that direct question. Then we heard Ford yesterday talk 
talking about the fact that it appears that a shipment of millions of N95 masks were not going to Ontario. So I think what this shows is, yes, there is a massive shortage. Yes, governments are concerned, but this may just be the very first tipping point. We talk about all the ventilators that Canada is getting, but in terms of ventilators, you also need medication to be able to use those. Mm -hmm. So will there be a supply of medical necessary medication that is also in shortage? I think this is a, the beginning, and I think governments need to be very cautious, Evan. Yeah, Tom, big picture here. You don't want the global supply chain to seize up, but this crisis is like the Donald Trump moment has clearly uh, sort of changed. If you listen to Doug, Premier Doug Ford from Ontario, he was stunned that the U.S. would try to cancel those orders. How does, if you're in the leadership, how do you respond to what the U.S. has done? Well, I think that the best way to respond is what Mr. Trudeau's government has been doing. Minister Patty Haidu came out front and center and said, the national stockpile is insufficient. That's good clarity. It's transparent. Premier Legault had a serious alarm sounded at the beginning of the week. He was clear with Quebecers, we do not have enough. And we've only got a few days left. So everybody realized that at the same time, and we're doing whatever we can. We've hit a wall with our American neighbors to the south who have started blocking shipments to Canada. We've scrambled. We've managed to get into China, which was blocking shipments up until not very long ago, but now seem to have a decent supply. So we'll tap into that to the extent possible. But I think overall, Evan, the most important thing is to be clear, honest, and transparent with the public. Let them know that this is part of the health crisis. Uh, Linda Silas, it was a stunning mm -hmm. moment when the Prime Minister was asked about this, and he said, well, we've got thousands of nurses in Windsor that cross the border every day to work in Detroit and Michigan. Could nurses be used as tools in a war over medical supplies? What's your take on that? No, they won't be used in a war for personal protective equipment. Uh, nurses that are working in the U.S. Uh, are as committed to their patients and their, those communities as they are when they're working downtown Toronto. So uh, they won't be a pawn here. But what they're, they're being a pawn with is what Tom was just explaining from the federal health minister saying we don't have we will have enough or we don't have enough. And then the Premier of Quebec saying, oh, we'll run out in a few days. Uh, those are big policies. You and I are very lucky that we work at home. We're protected with our own environment. But then these healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, cleaners are right there on the front line and we need to protect them and we need to tell them the truth and work with them to make sure we have solutions, not high uh, political dancing that we're seeing between two or three countries. All right, well, listen, uh, I, again, please pass on all of our thanks to the incredible mm -hmm. frontline workers, the doctors, the nurses, uh, cleaners, everybody that's on the front lines. Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate it. Linda Silas, uh, Andy Bergeron Oliver, Joyce Napier, and of course, Tom Mulcair. Great to have all of you. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. This is, this is going to go on. There are going to be some very tough days ahead. This is not going to be easy. I know everyone's making a sacrifice, so be patient, be kind, stay home. We're all in isolation. But as someone told me, the virus has not isolated our humanity, not isolated our courage, not isolated our community spirit. Thanks, all of you, for watching. Take good care. We'll be back in seven short days, and I'll see you Monday on Power Play.